podcast. Have you ever had a job interview where you were asked to list your weaknesses? How did you respond? And did they help you get the job? Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, A Glorious Grace, Designs of Grace, with the second part of a message entitled, Sustaining Grace, which covers 2 Corinthians chapters 11 and 12. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let's pray, though. Let's now prepare for the giving of God's Word. Father in heaven, we now come to you, and we acknowledge you to be the, the giver of truth. And we're very thankful that we don't have to try to walk through life trying to figure life out without any information from you. I thank you for truth. Thank you for the fact that you gave us an inspired word. Thank you that you have kept it through these many, many years to be even as it was. Thank you for the hope that we have in truth and how truth transforms and sets us free. But we're going to ask for this today, that you would work through our minds so that our hearts may be changed. So give us understanding, particularly of this very important truth as we discuss today. So bless it, we pray, and we ask it in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Last week, many of you were gone, holiday. Um, I ask in the other service, I won't take time here, how many of you were not here over the last, uh, last week for whatever reason. The number of people raised their hands was incredible. So I know many of you did miss last week. So a little bit of review to catch you up because this is a part two of a two-week and a broader series called A Glorious Grace. It's a series on grace. We've been spending the last weeks talking about specific segment of grace, and that is uh, what we have been uh, calling designs of grace. And we've talked about forgiving grace. We've talked about relational grace. Last week, we started off by talking about the uh, aspect of glorious grace that we're calling sustaining grace. So last week, an introduction just through the first of three realities found in the text that we're using. We're going to go a little further today. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians. Our text is the whole of 11 and 12, chapters 11 and 12 of 2 Corinthians. But if you were to ask me, what is the heart of the text? I would I would push you down to two verses, though we'll look at much more than two verses we did last week. But these two verses, I think, drive us to the heart of what we want to take from this text. So here it is, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, reads like this, referring to God, and He, God, has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore... I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Last week I said this is about as counterintuitive as teaching can be from God's Word. It really is. I mean, how many of us think of hey, you know what, if I want sufficient grace, then, then you know what I need to be? I need to be weak. And you know, if I'm weak, I need to really boast in that. I need to be excited. I need to be thrilled about my weaknesses. I mean, that's crazy. We don't do that. You know what we do is we say, oh, I got a weakness. I wish I didn't have it, and therefore, 
I don't want people to know I've got it, and I think I'll hide it, and I don't even think I'm going to say anything about this one because if people think I'm weak, then, then they certainly won't know I'm strong, and, and I, don't want, I want people to think I'm strong. I want people to think I'm strong physically, so I don't want you to know if I've got medical problems. I want you to think I'm strong mentally, so I don't want you to know where I'm kind of weak in my thinking. You know, I don't want you to think I'm emotionally weak, so don't, I don't want you to know I'm depressed or I've even battled with depression. I mean, all that stuff, I, that's just for me, maybe a few inner circle, but nuh-uh, because certainly it's more important that I give the image of being strong. There couldn't be anything further from the truth, and we're going to see why. And we looked at part of it last week. Uh, last week I was, I was saying, hey, this is a game changer. I said, hey, I hope you young people will come because this one is important for you. As much as any of us older folks, this is a time to get this great, important teaching. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Power perfected in weakness. Now, the context, as I said last week, was a teaching by these super apostles. And when I say super apostles, they were, they were claiming to be the 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 tier one apostles of Jesus. They weren't even apostles. In fact, they're going to be identified in the text we looked at last week. We won't look at it again, but that these are deceitful workers of evil and so forth. But they're teaching something that J.I. Packer, at least, whether he originated the word, I don't know, probably not, but he defines as triumphalism. Here it is. I'll give you a definition of it. Triumphalism is this, the belief that God will save Christians not only from the punishment due them for their sin and the guilt associated, but also from all of this life's burdens, confusions, discouragements, defeats, pain, difficulty, diseases, and so forth. Now, here's the difference. Today, we have people, many Christians, that believe in triumphalism. Uh, you know that. If you've got any loved one, if you yourself has gone through a, a battle with cancer where it looked like you may lose your life, what do you hear you hear from Christians who are wonderful Christians. They love the Lord. And they come and they say, hey, look, you know this. God will heal you. But here's two things that have got to happen. You've got to have faith, strong faith. And number two, because you have to believe. And number two, you have to confess any sin. Because if sin's in you right now, it won't happen. But if you cleanse yourself of sin and so forth. I mean, he'll come so far and say, let me tell you, God spoke to me about your health, and, and let me tell you, this is what God's going to do. God's going to heal you. He told me that. I know that. You need to believe that. Now, here's the difference. The people in Paul's day were trying to get followers. They were very deceitful. They were not, they were not spiritual people. And they were using triumphalism in this way. They were saying, hey, let me tell you, God just gave me this revelation. God just gave me this vision. Let me tell you what he did. It, it was our version today of saying, hey, God spoke to me. And this is exactly what he said, and this is for sure what he's going to do. No, you, you can't say that. You may have sense. Hey, maybe, I, I, I sense God may be speaking to me. Here's something I'd like to throw out at you. I want you to consider. But, I mean, we don't know. It's, there's no infallible word today. But these people were coming at him like, I got the answers and, and we're the one. And, and by the way, you, you, you Corinthians, I, I know Paul, you know, founded the church in his second journey, but, but I don't know if you understand this, Paul is not really one of us. Uh, he doesn't get revelations and he doesn't get visions like we do. Well, the truth of it was he did get revelations and visions, but Paul would never talk about them. 
he, he kind of kept quiet about those things. Now, Luke, who wrote Acts, on multiple occasions would refer to the visions or whatever of, of Paul that, okay, he would say, but Paul, you didn't hear that from. So they say, have you heard ever Paul talk about it? No, see, now Paul's not, he's not at our level. We are super, he may be an apostle, but we are super apostles. So here comes a dilemma. Now, Paul is trying to think, how do I write these people knowing what they're going through? And I certainly, I certainly want to help them get away from this erroneous teaching of triumphalism. So he, he, he says, okay, I hate to do this, and I, I wouldn't, I'm, I, I'm not doing this for me. I'm actually only doing this for you, but I do need to tell you about one revelation that I had and a vision. And he walks us through, and we read it and looked at it last week, where he, in the third person, pushing away as much of the uneasiness he had about talking about himself and what he could glory in, he said, well, I know this one who was captured into the third heavens and, and was given basically a tour of heaven, and, and he's the one. He's referring to himself. No sooner does he get through that, he flips and comes right back and starts talking about all of his challenges and problems. Well, I mean, do you want to follow somebody who's just hearing from God and everything's going great in their life? Or do you want to hear somebody who says, well, I'm not talking about what I've heard from God. And let me tell you, frankly, uh, you know, life is not very fun. It's, it's real hard. In fact, when I became a Christian, life got a lot harder. And in fact, uh, now that I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm getting stoned a lot. I'm getting uh, young people. I'm talking about rocks. And <laughs> I just thought, need to, need to clarify that one there. But I, I'm getting in all kind of t trouble. I'm having this and this kind, and God's taking me through this issue and this issue and so forth. And, and they go, well, goodness gracious, I'd rather follow these guys. I like, I like what's happening for them, not what's happening for me or, or for Paul. So here's the dilemma. He says, I don't know what to do. So he says, okay, I'm through telling you about the vision, so now you know, okay. But I'm going to get back to my real credentials. And my real credentials are what I'm going through that are hard. It's my suffering. It's my pain. It's my struggles. And he mentions one called the thorn in the flesh. So we studied about the thorn of the flesh last week. I hope you might get the podcast. But uh, we talked about the six or so things that many have identified it could be. Nobody knows. I think it's very smart. Nobody knows. We'd be saying, well, his thorn's not near as bad as my thorn. Yeah, it's easy for him, but not... So he doesn't identify what, but he says it's a pretty painful thorn. And this is what he says in the text, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 8. He says, and because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And we studied that and the thorn, the importance of thorns, and so forth. Now, having done that, we did discuss, too, who gave the thorn. Was it God or was it Satan? And I hope that you would agree in conclusion it's a both and. It's not an either or. And we walk through the theology of where our suffering and pain comes from. Now, then we spent our time in the first point. And the first point, I'm not going to go through any of the teaching. I'll just give you the heading. You can go back if you'd like to to go further into this, but for the Christian, life struggles should at least be viewed as credentials 
of spiritual legitimacy. Now, we're going to move to points number two and number three. The problem with ending in point one is we end at a place that will lead us to a conclusion that is inaccurate. What we do is we say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I really think this triumphalism, that's, that's bad stuff, and I want to stay away from that, and that'd be good. And then we'd say, well, you know, at the same time, I really understand that, that God can use these bad things in my life to, for my good, that that's, you know, uh, and, and probably I ought to be content. I ought to be content in my suffering. And many of us would hear that and say, wow, what a great Christian that can do that, can be content in their suffering. Folks, it's not halfway there. Wait to point three, but we got to walk through two first to get there. But in point number three, the reality that we're going to look at is, oh, no, 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 no. You haven't seen the half of it. Let's look at point two first. Point two says this, God's sustaining grace is sufficient for whatever suffering a believer experiences. Verse 9, very beginning of it, review it, it says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, do you realize that he did not ask? He did not ask for grace. He asked for the thorn to be removed. Well, he doesn't understand the, the greatness of suffering and trial and pain. Oh, no, he knows the, he knows the beauty of it. You got to understand this, it's not wrong to ask God to take away the pain and suffering that we're going through. I pray with people a lot. Pray for my own self. Oh God, please don't let this and oh, keep me from this and oh God, deliver them from that and would you take this away? Oh, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But he does not ask for grace. I'm going to suggest to you that the reason he is not asking for grace is he knows that grace is his. He knows he has sufficient grace. And at the same time, he's going to ask, and the Lord says, make your request known to me. And he makes his request. Three times he beseeches the Lord. Why just three? Don't know. But at some point, obviously, he realized, uh-uh, taking this away is not what God desires. Use the thorn. Instead of thinking of a, a bush thorn, uh, think of a splinter. And maybe a deep, deep big splinter gets in the hand and it gets infected very quickly and all of a sudden you're throbbing and you can't do anything. You say, oh God, I I've got to do such and such for you and I'm about to do so and so, but with this hand hurting the way it is, I can't think about what I'm doing. I was just hurting so bad. God, please take it away. Please take it away. Please take it away. And over time, he says, you know what? God's not going to take this away. I just sense that's not what he wants. Now, i got two options now i got to say, then I've got to figure out how to make life work with my pain and my suffering, whatever the issue might be. I have got to figure out life, and I'm going to find a way deep within. I will find a way to do it. I'll get there. Or I've got to say, I need help. And I need to take hold of this and figure out what this thing means. I'll put it this way. You really have two options. You have the option of triumphalism. And say, okay, I, I'm going to believe it, and I'll, I'll pray, and I'll do whatever I have to do to get rid of my sin, and I'll fight to get the faith that I need, and, and God's going to do that for me. That's a spiritual approach, kind of a, a spiritualized approach to I'm taking this on, and I will work with it. I don't care what. I've got to fight, and I'll get rid of this problem. 
and I'll go down swinging. If I, if I can't get rid of the problem, I'm not, I'm not accepting it, I'm going to fight it and fight it and fight it and fight it. The other approach is this thing that we call sufficient grace. He knew he had sufficient grace. And so now he's now come to the conclusion the thorn is not going away. And so he can either respond naturally and think of his self-sufficiency, or number two, he can think in a spiritual way and he can think dependency, dependency. It's called sustaining grace. One of my favorite authors, you've heard me mention him, Paul Tripp, he says this about uh, this kind of situation. He says, human beings are simply not self-sustaining. We were never designed to live as if we are. We were created to be dependent. Dependency is not, therefore, a sign of weakness. Humans are dependent beings, yet we do not like to be dependent. It is the legacy of our fallenness to do everything we can to conceptually and functionally repudiate the doctrine of human dependency. Do any of you identify with that? I, I, I don't want to feel dependent. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to tell people our struggles. Why? Because we want to think, I, I don't need you. I'll do it on my own. I'd rather you not know, in fact, instead of saying, I need help. I need your prayers. Uh, one, one person in our church going through cancer, I, I didn't want to mention it publicly and, until I knew. And I said, is it okay if I ask people to be praying for you and so forth? You, will you let this be known? Because so many people say, no, I don't want anybody to know. I don't want anybody to know. I don't want anybody to know. I love this guy's response. He says, I haven't found anybody yet I didn't want to be praying for me. <laughs> oh, good, good response. Uh, he's saying, I'm dependent upon people praying. And so we get those options. Which will it be? If we choose the option of dependency, we have to go back and understand, well, what do you mean when you say, I got to be dependent? What does that mean? Here it is. It goes back, previous in the series, if you remember, we were in Romans 5. And we say we're introduced by Jesus. He introduces us. He walks us into through justification, declaring us righteous by the work of Christ. We are put into this, and I put a circle like a figurative circle here. And he says, and I stand in grace. You see, Paul knew that he stood in grace. So he's not going to say, oh, God, give me grace, give me grace, give me. No, he's got all the grace he needs. His, God's grace is sufficient. He knows that. But it is the reality that we have to appropriate the grace that is ours in which we as Christians stand and will never walk out of. We have to appropriate it. Well, what do you mean? Well, if you've heard me teach on the appropriating of the power of God's Spirit, this is the same thing. There's no difference. Well, what, you know, if, if you've heard anything from Romans 6 from me about appropriating the power of God's Spirit, you know those three letters, KCP, no, consider, present. It starts with what you know. All right, do, all right, I have to know the reality now of my dependency upon Jesus. I have to do that. I have to depend upon his will for my life. I have to, these don't feel good. I'm naturally wanting to, uh, to, to be independent, but I need to be dependent upon you. And so I, I'm going to ask you, Lord, would you allow me to know what I'm supposed to know is truth? Well, how are you going to know what's truth if you don't sit under the preaching of the Word, you don't read the Bible, you're not prayerfully talking to the Lord about it? Not very important. 
Those are called the means of grace. So we're in this grace in which we stand. How do we get that into our hearts and lives? There's a sense in which, well, it's just you appropriate it. You know, and then you consider. What is consider? Well, you, you take thought of what you know, but you often forget. In other words, you keep thinking about it. You think about it. You think about it. You think about it. You consider the implications of it. You consider it. You consider it. You consider it. And then there's the presentation where you say, I present the, uh, my very being to God. It's that surrender where as we stand in grace, we submit and say, God, I'm going to trust you. I don't feel it now, but I'm going to trust you that, that your plan for me, which is not my plan for me, it is a good plan and I will, I will accept it. It takes us to the third and the final truth. The third truth is the one I think that, that we now take the next big step and it becomes the aha. It reads like this. Because of sustaining grace, God's power is made perfect through the weakness that we experience. Second Corinthians Chapter 12, the end of verse 9, again. And then verse 10, it says, I will rather boast, I would rather boast most gladly, note that word, gladly, of my weaknesses. In order that the power of Christ, note those words, and then these words, may dwell with me. I'm going to come back to these. One last word, or two last things I'm going to note. Therefore, I am content. Note the word content. It is a very poor translation, in my opinion. We'll get to that. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and constraints. And the last thing, for the sake of Christ, note that. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Now, this whole idea of content... I said it's a poor translation, verse 10. The, uh, the ESV, which is very good, the NAS that I often use, they're great translations, but I think they miss it here. The NIV uses a totally different word. It uses the term delight or well-pleased. I'm delight in. Do you remember in Matthew, I think it's chapter 17, do you remember where Jesus is now before his father and his father speaks of him at this critical moment and he says this is my son with whom i am well pleased isn't that interesting that's this word can you imagine this is my son with whom i am very content no he's not content with jesus his son he is well pleased with this son you got to understand, Paul is not saying in all of these issues and challenges, I'm not just content. That's many Christians think, boy, if I come a long way, I'm at least content with my problems. Paul would say, no, you haven't yet even seen. You should be more than, you should delight in your problems. What? That doesn't mean you like your problems in and of themselves. But there's a reason that you will like them, and it's because of what happens to you because you do carry these problems. It's going to change who you are, and as a result, you are going to experience the power of Christ. Ah, well, what is that? What do you mean? Well, do you look in, the, in verse 10? It's very interesting. What he says in verse 10, I am content, I delight in it. And, and then if you see in verse 5, he says, power is the, that the power of Christ may, and remember those words I said, note, rest upon me? 
It's very interesting. Many commentators would agree on this, that this is almost certainly pointing you back to the Shekinah glory that would rest upon the people of God. Do you know the story of the Old Testament, the tabernacle which is being moved and, and the people of God and, and God's presence is the Shekinah glory. And as long as they had the presence of God hovering over them, they were in good shape. They had the power of God with them. All these enemies and all the stuff in the wilderness, no problem. Power of God is here with me. I'm in good shape. And, and the fire by night and, and the cloud by day and boy, they just move, and the power would, would rest upon them, the glory of God. Do you know what Paul is saying? He's saying, this is why you get so excited about this. This is why you would not just be content, but you would delight in your problems, because you're going to realize what God is going to do through that, if he chooses not to remove it, is that you've got this power that's going to be so important to you that for all eternity, you'll be applauding God for the very problems that got you where you are. It's another way of looking at the Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together for good, but he's just kind of giving us some detail here, and he gives his experience to say, look, I hate this thorn. It hurts. I beg God to remove it. Why? Because I don't like it. But now I'm glorying in it. He would know, you know what? Who knows with that vision that God gave me, what kind of conceit would have gotten into me? On a human level, it's like where we say, oh, you know what, if I could just win a, the lottery, you know what's going to happen to you if you win the lottery. It'll destroy your life. There's a rare exception maybe, but it's not going to do good for you. Oh, if I could only be famous. Look at famous people and the stuff they go through. I mean, it's just, we got it all backwards. And he goes, no, 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 no. God, I'm just really, I really love being dependent upon God. And I let him choose my course and what I need and what I don't need. And then I'll pray, God, take it away if I don't like it. And if he doesn't, you know what? I can glory in it. I can even boast about it. Because in my weaknesses, I'm made strong. And in reality, they really are signs of legitimacy of being a real child of God. I love the way Tripp writes. He puts it this way. In God's grace, God leads us where we didn't plan to go in order to produce in us what we could not achieve on our own. So last week I closed and I said, well, we're talking about, you know, why not just be able to tell about your weaknesses? I said, well, I'll tell you mine. And, and, and trust me, this is not my one weakness. This is not my one thorn. But I would call this the thorn of the flesh for me. And I would love not to identify it, not because it makes me look bad, but because I hate for you, like Paul probably did not want to know what his thorn was, because you say, oh yeah, that's nothing. Oh, you think you got it bad. But I'd like to remind you of this. As I share my thorn, and I'll repeat it again, I share my thorn, I, I said to you last week that because of it, I have battled a sense of insecurity, inadequacy, discouragement. You know, if that's that thorn in the flesh that just, oh, that splinter, it's infected, oh, and you're screaming in pain, in agony over it. And you think, well, what a, what a small thing compared to having to have your hand cut off. But I bet you 
the pain level might feel the same even though one is much worse than the other. The issue is, does something in your life bring you a sense of inadequacy? Is there something in your life that that makes you feel insecure? That, That makes you discouraged a lot? That seems to, in your mind, hinder you from getting where you could best serve the Lord or live life in a better way? I shared my issue is, 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 is my memory. It's not a, an old age thing for me. It may get amplified, but it's, it's been there forever. Uh, since I was a little kid, oh, I can make good grades. Oh, I can do this, that, and the other. But let me tell you, oh, battling it, discouraged. I wouldn't go to this. I wouldn't do this. I'd make sure this is, uh-uh, I can't do that because. And I'll put it this way. Just yesterday or the day before, I forget Hey, you applaud me that I can even remember this, okay? <laughs> Carol and I were talking. Carol said something about when we, went on our, when we went on our 40th anniversary. Now, you know I'm not so old that that couldn't be fairly recently, right? That was less than two years ago. And she mentioned when we went to such and so in Florida and so forth. I sat there and I said, you know, Carol, I don't remember that. I don't remember it. Oh, I remember we went. But if you ask me, where did we stay? What city did we go to? What, what, what was the condo we stayed in? I won't remember that. I lose as quick as I get out. I go, what was that? That's been all my life. By the way, I don't really desire for you to tell me that you have the same problem. <laughs> but there got to be at least 100 already people in this church that have that problem that have told me about it. You go, I felt so good when you told me that. <laughs> so, so I'm glad you're glorying in my problems. You're supposed to glory in your own. But now the point is, oh, oh, really? Really? I didn't know. Oh, it's, it's, people have told me stories of what it's done to them and how they feel this and they couldn't do that. And, and they say, I've been, and they go, I, I never thought you had that. I said, yeah, I covered it well, haven't I? Well, why not tell you? I don't care. You can know that. But you know where it's really got me is in ministry. That was my big deal. I'm in ministry and all my peers, they're so different in what they remember and they can read this and they can remember this and they got this and they don't have to research it again and they don't have to do this and that and other. And I go, well, God, I can't preach. I can't do this kind of stuff. And on the 24th, I'm going to take you to the full story when I share here in the morning of the 24th. But I'm telling you, it's just been enough to hinder me to where I say, God, when you let me quit preaching, oh, when you want me to quit, I'm ready because... I'll share more of that, but, but the point is, it's something that has brought me challenge, and now, I promise you, this is really true, I know up here, I see it, and it gets down to my belief system, and sometimes I even find myself saying, yeah, that's so good, not often enough, but I see how thankful I am for this problem. I don't know if the teaching of of God's Word is including in this the natural things. In our weaknesses, we're made strong. I know this. My weak side of my brain is compensated greatly by an unusual strength in the other side, and maybe that is part of what he's... I don't think so. I think his things are more like, you know, the, the persecutions and the issues and physical things that hit him, but I don't know. But you know what? I know this. I am convinced, I am convinced, Perimeter Church, 
though it's not near what it should be, it would never be what it is if I didn't have that thorn in the flesh. I'll explain more later. But folks, the point is this. Why don't we be a people to share our thorns? Why don't we share our weaknesses? To where, if we can say, hey, this is the power of Christ. This is where it comes from, from, from having to be dependent upon him. To not be able to say, oh, I can do it. I can get up in front of people and I can, I can talk in such a way. Everybody will like it and blah, blah, blah. No, it's like, oh, God, I can't do that. Would, would, would you speak through me because I can't? That's the issue in your life and my life. It's just a different thorn. It's a different experience. But I'll tell you this. When people know that you carry your struggles and they see God use you with your struggles, far more impactful than them seeing you with great talent and using your talent well. Glory in Christ. Glory in Christ. The little phrase, for Christ's sake, that was found in verse 10. There's your answer. Here's the big question. What is more important to us? Is my sake and what I want for me more important than Christ's sake? When we cross that bridge and we say, Christ, it's you. When that happens, now, now, that's when God uses us in big ways. That's when power comes. Don't, don't waste a weakness. Let God use you because of it. We'll ask the singers to come out. We're going to, we're going to sing a song, How Firm a Foundation. I chose this because the words just speak to this. When I, when I did this message, I said, man, this hymn, it says it for me. You know, this hymn was written, we don't know by whom, but it was written in 1787, just about the time our nation was birthed. You know, this was such a, a powerful hymn, or is such, that President Andrew Jackson, he asked on his deathbed, would you come and sing to me how firm a foundation. President Woodrow Wilson, at his funeral, he had asked that it would be sung at his funeral. Theodore Roosevelt claimed it was his favorite hymn. There's a reason men of this caliber would say these words, they speak. Let's stand. Let's sing it together. When through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not Your dross to consume and 
no strength in us there is no power in us there is no ability in us that can be of any value or of any worth that will last if you in your sufficiency and your power and your grace and your mercy if you did not uphold us with your righteous right hand and Lord even if all hell would endeavor to shake if Satan himself said, this one I will destroy, he cannot thwart you. And Lord, we rejoice that we are in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.